Amen. How's it going, church? All right, so this is the 10 a.m. service, right? So when I say, how's it going, church, it should sound louder than the 845 service. How's it going, church? That's much better. Um, My name is Nate Tunison. I am one of the leaders here. I serve in the worship ministry. Um, Can we just give the worship team a round of applause on just how awesome they are? I know how much uh, dedication and how much time goes into that, and they did an awesome job. Um, It is truly an honor to be up here to preach the Word of God with you guys today. Um, Josh asked me a few weeks ago if this was a topic that I'd like to talk about, and I gladly took the opportunity. We are in our first sermon series of the new year, and it's called When Life Gives You Lemons. And really, what we're going to do is we're taking time to go over you know, what are we to do when life throws us a curveball? You know, Josh laid out this, uh, this idea the first week that as Christians, there's this little stereotype saying, becoming believers of Christ, that we're never going to have any problems ever again. Is that the case? Is that what we see? No, it's biblically false. I mean, we're going we're gonna to go through hard times and maybe even really hard times We're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through trials. And with that, welcome to church. Hope you guys are feeling great right now. Um, No, but to counter that, we have hope, right, church? You know, God sent us his son. We have hope. We have hope in that. And so he made a way to overcome these trials through Christ. Now, however, even though we have hope and we have joy in that fact, what do we do when we feel hopeless? What do we do when we don't feel like we have joy? You know, how do we get from point A, pain enters our life, to point B, having that hope and having that joy? And that's kind of what I want to focus on today. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for our hardships. I mean, that seems like a weird thing to focus on. But God, it shows, it shows us the places in our lives where you show up. It gives us opportunity to focus on you and the hope that we do have, the joy that we have. Lord, be present with us this morning as we go through this, this very difficult topic. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be reading out of Job chapter 2. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. Uh, if you have your phones, go ahead and swipe there. And if you don't have either, um, these verses are going to be on the screen. And while you're doing that, I want to address a problem that I think that we have today. Um, We try to handle our pain on our own. If you're anything like me, when you go through hardship, you you think that that's something that you have to do alone. And we we live in this unique point of time, and this might just be my generation, where we have, we have, a lot of access to people's lives, even those we don't know about, even like the people that we don't know. I mean, with a quick button, a swipe on the iPhone, you have access to a lot of people and what they have and what you don't. I mean, would it be wrong to say that that may have a negative effect on us? That we see everybody's possessions or how they look and we just don't match? You know, and, and when we do, and we, we're at the peak of our happiness, and we're keeping up with everybody else, 
but the pain sets in, and it comes, and life throws us that curveball, where do we fit in? And everybody, everybody else seems to be doing well. And I'm talking from personal experience. You know, what I tend to do is I shove that to the side, and I keep acting like I still have it. But really, what I should be doing is reaching out to people. And this creates loneliness, and it creates hopelessness. Church, I want to tell you that this is Satan's deception at its finest. I do believe that there's an enemy. There's too many places in the Bible to refute that. And he will love nothing more than to make it seem like we're alone during our painful times. We're alone during our trials. So let's take a look at Job. Let's see how, how they went through this. Um, to catch you up from where I'm reading, you know, there's this man named Job, and he lives in Uz, and he is very, very blessed by God. He's rich. He has a lot of cattle. He has this huge family. And then suddenly we're taken to this awesome, awesome scene in the Bible, and I could totally nerd out on this, where there's this heavenly court where God is with his angels, and they're going through what seems to be some kind of trial. And it's, turn, it's Satan's turn to come up and make his case, but God kind of puts a little insert in there. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Of course Satan considered Job. There's like a big arrow pointing to him, and he would, be, he would love to talk and to mess with Job, but he's not allowed to. So he makes his case. He says, you put this hedge around Job, you've blessed him, you made him rich, you gave him a big family, of course he loves you. But if you take that away, he's going to curse you in your face. So they make this little heavenly wager. And they're like, okay. God tells them, go ahead. You can do everything but kill him. And that's where we're going to pick up. So Job 2, verse 11. It says, When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Neamathite, heard about the troubles that, he, that come upon him, they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, if there's one thing I want you to take away from this text, and it's my main point today, is that Christians are not supposed to live their lives alone, but in unity, driven by and for Christ. Let me say that one more time, because it's very important. Christians are not supposed to live their lives alone, but live in unity, driven by and for Christ. Church, we need community. We need to be leaning into each other. When problems happen, we have to do what they did. We have to come together, and we have to get through it together in unity. One of my favorite movies growing up, um, and this may age me with this crowd. It didn't last time. I'm very thankful for that. Was Castaway. Does anybody remember that movie? Anyone under the age of 15 is like, what? It stars Tom Hanks, and his character Chuck works for FedEx, and he's on one of the company planes, and they're traveling, traveling over the Pacific Ocean, and it crashes, and he is the only survivor. Um, Outside of finding food and making fire, can anybody tell me what he did first? Yes, yeah, Wilson, right? I mean, everybody fell in love with this non-living fictional character. I mean, come on, do not lie. 
Do not lie. At the very end, when Liz Wilson gets cast away into the sea, you guys teared up, didn't you? Come on, come on. Wilson. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah, Tom Hanks realized very early on that he needed somebody, even if it's a volleyball with some blood on it. Like, he needed somebody to be with him. Tom Hanks said some, a really interesting point, his, his requirements of life in an interview when he, he was asked about Castaway, this is what he said. He said, I made Castaway because I wanted to examine the concept of four years of hopelessness in which you have none of the requirements for living, food, water, shelter, fire, and company. We need community. This life is just too hard to do it on your own. And God recognized this early on in Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Basic Bible 101, if God said it, then it's important. But what does this look like? What, what does this look like in our life? Because, you know, by nature, we tend to just do this stuff on our own. So what does it look like to have community? And I want to go over that today on... Um, and then what I want to do is go over how you can use community to get through your painful trials. So let's take a look at these. I think there's three basic types of community. The first one is Christian community. Christian community are the relationships that we have as children of God. It's what we're doing right now. Uh, it's, what, it's what was happening in Job with his friends coming to meet him. And what's important to note about Christian community is that the relationships we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ often define our relationship with Christ. I mean, would you agree? Have you ever uh, came to church and you just weren't feeling it? Uh, you didn't feel close to God. You're often wondering if you should have even came in at all. But then Pastor Josh said something and it really tugged at you. It got your attention. Or maybe you got to pray with a brother and sister in Christ and you left feeling a little glimmer of hope. That's community. Or on the flip side, do you have like a friend, maybe a Christian, may not be a Christian, that is just so negative that they just tend to weigh you down? Hopefully it's not me. <laughs> if we're going to be the image of God, we have to be aware of how our image is being formed. We have to, we have to really take in on how our thought of God is being defined. By, and that's most important with our relationships. But my biggest fear with community is that we're not living it. That we miss that privilege of having Christian community and we go through our, our painful times and we're not using each other to, to create some kind of accountability, to, to get some hope or some help. Um, I recently read a book by... Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together, and it really helped me during uh, prepping for this sermon. And he said this about Christian community. He said, Let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we're allowed to live in a community with Christian brethren. Church, we are fortunate to have each other. We are very, very privileged. And we need to capitalize on that privilege. It is a blessing straight from God. 
But it's important to, to know that community cannot happen just one day a week, especially not one hour of the week. We have to do more than just come to church and hope that we can make it through this world for the next six days until we come together again. We need to do things like come together and worship, come together and pray, come together and keep each other accountable. And when this happens, we form one body. I love Paul's descriptions in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 12 through 13. It says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit and form one body. We need to come together in unity as a, as a Christian family. And, and what this does, we have this opportunity to either grow with each other or suffer with each other. But oftentimes, we don't, we don't see that happening. And that's why I think life groups are so important. Um, it creates a time in the week where we get to come together and we get to just lean in together and do life with each other. Because when this isn't happening, church, how do we stand a chance in a fallen world? But when it is happening, our relationship with Jesus grows. It increases. And we need to capitalize on that. Uh, the second kind of community is family community. Because let's be realistic, we're not always able to be with each other, right? So we have to lean on our family. And when I say family community, what I really mean and probably should have put was our household community. Like, what kind of community do you have at home? We live in a society radically different than early Christians. And we see this in Acts 2, where a lot of people would just lift up and uproot out of their lives and go out and preach the gospel. Um, And that's just not the case today. And that's okay, because I think we live in a time where we need to have a Christian household more than ever. Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 6 through 9 says, These commandments that I give you, uh, today are to be on our hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. When we're at home, we need to be focusing on God. It should be so evident in our day-to-day lives that we are so strengthened uh, by Christian community and our, the household community that we have It should just be radiating out of us. And we can't always be together as a church family every day. So what we got to do is we got to keep that going at home. That way we are growing in Christ. And when we come back together as a community, you know, we have something to offer instead of just standing in one place. It's very important. And to be honest, this is one of the greatest joys I have in my life is to, to teach my children about Christ. Um, my oldest son, Zachary, here he is right there. He's all two years old, and he keeps me in check. Um, every single night, we get him into bed, and we, we go through his, his little children's Bible, the same Bible I had as a kid, uh, the same one that we use here, I believe. And um, here's some of the conver- common conversations he has with God when we pray. I'm going to go through one of his prayers. He says, God, dear God, always starts with dear God. He says nothing else. Uh, Thank you for peanut butter and jelly. For toast, two eggs. He's very specific on two eggs. It's not one egg. It's not four eggs. It's two eggs. Avocados, milk, mama, dada, 
Nani, Nima, Papa and Papa, because he says the same, same word for Papa. So Papa and Papa, peanut butter and jelly again. And then he goes through what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to go night, wake up, breakfast, books, ABCs, peanut butter and jelly, fish movie, which is Finding Nemo. And at first I thought this was hilarious, and I still do. I still do. But on my best days, I praise God that he has that kind of heart and that we're raising him to know him and be thankful. And on my worst days, I realize just how, how much we have to be thankful for. And I grow. My two-year-old is teaching me how to be thankful in Christ. My point is, is that that kind of community at home realigns us with God. It keeps Christ at our center. And it keeps us going. Lastly, I want to talk about our community with God, our triune community. This is the relationship we have with the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I don't want to stress, I, mean, I can't stress enough that this is the most relationship, uh, this most important relationship that we have and we can invest in. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke 14, 26. I don't think I have a slide for this, but it's okay. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. On the surface, that just seems like a burn, right? Like, obviously, God does not mean that we're supposed to hate our family, but he makes the point very, very clear that our relationship with him is the most important one that we have. So what does this look like? What does a community, community with God looks like? Because that can be a little bit weird at first. And I'm not going to elaborate too much on this because it could take a very long time. But to sum it up in just two points, it means that we need to be with God. We need to come with God and sit in silence, read scripture. And I mean really, really read scripture. Take one verse, maybe even a word in a verse, and just meditate over that. Pray for God for understanding about that word or that verse and, and ask him for the Holy Spirit to work within you so that you may grow. And keep doing this throughout your day because we just face too many temptations not to. Second, it should allow, uh, we should allow God to fuel our other communities. Christ needs to be our focus with everybody we come in contact with. So a relationship understanding God, a better relationship with him, will fuel how we address everybody else. Uh, in that book, Bonhoeffer, he also says this um, in Living Together. It says, For Jesus Christ alone is our unity. He is our peace. Through him alone do we have access to one another, joy in one another, and fellowship with one another. We have to be spending time with God because how else are we going to be beneficial to everybody else? If we don't have basic truths on who God is and how he acts in your life, how are we going to go to other people and proclaim the gospel to them? And this is why I love the story of Job. It shows a man going through a painful time in every single way, with a close set of friends who attempt to cover him. Uh, what we can really take away from Job is that a community allows us to support one, each other, one another during painful times. And we can make the argument that even a non-Christian um, can help you during, during hardships. But I want to argue that as Christians, 
we are called to love each other at a different capacity. And these three men who often get a bad rap, and rightfully so, because even God, by the end of Job, is angry with with these three, um, I think they did a few things right that we can learn from. Uh, Three things to be specific that we can go over. First, it should be intentional to comfort others. Now, I was going to put this with the next point because they're very, very similar, but I think they're unique enough to look at this. Um, If you look at the text closely, Job didn't even ask for help. He fell into that social norm that, like, I would even do. When, when the pain comes in, he didn't even reach out. It says that, uh, it says Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, when they heard about the pain he was going in, they came. When they heard, they came. And that's interesting to consider because they were living during ancient Israel standards. So it's, it's a little bit of debate when Job was written, but we can say that it's after the time of Moses, which means that these men were under Levitical law. And why that's important is because Levitical law says if somebody is sick, like Job was, they are to be banished from their city. They actually made a little spot outside of the gate where anyone who was sick, they would sit. And nobody could go to them because they risked spreading infection. So what these men did was radically different than what we see throughout Scripture. Because what they had to do is, after, after they got uh, cleansed for a week, they had to go through this pr- little ritual where they washed themselves in all their clothes, and they came back to their community after their priest said, it's okay. But these men kind of broke that. They saw that it was important enough that, to help their friends, to help their community. You know, another way that these men can teach us uh, to help people during painful times is that we should be present when comforting others. Uh, Bildad, Elphaz, and Zophar, in uh, verse 11 again, they said, when they heard about all the troubles upon Job, they set out from their homes together with the sole purpose to sympathize and comfort Job. You have to understand that that task alone of them just going to Job is just ridiculous. I mean, Job, if, if it's right on where these men lived, they had to walk or ride on a camel for over 100 miles. That also shows you just how long Job was going through this trial because they didn't have Twitter. It's not like Job was sending out tweets saying, man, I really hurt today. This sucks. No, they, they talked to each other by word of mouth. So for, that, for the time that it took for these men to hear about that Job was, in a, that was going through a hardship, um, it took a very long time. And what was the first thing that they did when they recognized him? Outside of tearing their clothes and throwing like dirt on themselves and all that and crying out loud, what was the first thing that they did? They sat with them and they didn't talk. For seven days and seven nights, they didn't say a word. They thought it was just important enough just to sit there and just to be with them, just to be present. And I, when I was going through this, making this sermon, I just felt convicted because often what I do when someone is going through a hard time is, I'll just send them a text and say, I'm praying for you. There's not much, much more I do after that, if I'm going to be honest. I'll pray for them, but I'll never follow up and just be present with them. I don't go over, I definitely don't go over their house and sit with them when they're sick, risk of getting sick myself. But, but I mean, there's something to say in that, of just being there and being present. Lastly, with all things, our community should be Christ-driven. 
Now, if you keep going in Job, this is where these guys make a big, big mistake. They would have just been better just not to say a word to Job. They basically made this argument saying, if you're going through this hardship, God must be angry with you. There must be something in your life that God is using to make you suffer. And I'm not saying that you should go up to your brothers and sisters in Christ and be like, you need to repent for what you're, how you're living right now because God hates you. No, what, what I'm saying is, as Christians, as believers in Christ, we should be, at least be comfortable enough to come up to each other and just be like, there might be something in your life right now where, that you should reevaluate. And in the same sense, we should be comfortable enough with maybe accepting that truth and not getting so hostile or getting so angry with each other. So with this today, what, what do we take from this? And if I want to take some action steps, church, we should do three things. We should evaluate each type of community. You know, are there relationships in your lives right now that you should be capitalizing on? Maybe there's a brother or sister in Christ that you can meet up with once a week just to hold each other accountable. I have one of those relationships in my life, and it's probably one of the most important relationships that I have. Uh, how can you grow with each other as a family unit? You know, a good step that I do is sometimes I'll write down just a typical week at my house, what that looks like, and see some things. Maybe I can take out an extra episode of Stranger Things and read the Bible with my family or just pray with each other. And lastly, we have to capitalize on our community with God. You know, is there a time in my day that I could just step away just to pray, just to be with God, maybe read a verse or two? And band, you can, you can come back up. But maybe another good step you could do is join a life group. You know, I can't stress enough that it's just so important to lean in each other. You know, deep, Bonhoeffer in that book, he, he had this quote in there, that, and it's really just stuck with me. Because I know a lot of people in here, even in this last year alone, just went through terrible, terrible times. And he said in his book that this world is just too hard to live on our own. It's just too fallen to live on our own. So we need to be just living together. That's the whole idea of it. So I just ask you, where are some steps this week that you can just make one change so you can get that hope back to you? That when you're going through trials, when you're going through hard times, you still have hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you're not doing that, this world's just going to consume you. Satan's just going to capitalize off that. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope that we have. The basic truth that, that you are for us. You're not against us, Lord. Just like we just sing out and we worship to you, Lord, you make a way for us when we feel like there's no way. Lord, you specifically put people in our lives so we can love each other, just so we can get through those trials. You know, reveal that truth to us when we're going through our hard times that we don't do these things alone, that we reach out. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.